0: chapter thirty of the barnabys in america by francis milton trollope this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter thirty the narrative returns to its heroine and follows her and her interesting family to philadelphia a new and important friendship is formed there while mrs allen barnaby devotes herself to her new acquaintance the rest of the family indulge themselves by a visit to the theatre On reaching the little village of Shakespeare town at which it was the purpose of Major Allen Barnaby to embark, he had the considerable satisfaction of hearing that no steamer for New York was expected to stop there for a day or two. He therefore dismissed the conveyances so zealously lent for the use of his beloved and suffering wife and her family. Wrote a few affectionate lines to Mrs. Beauchamp stating that though violent spasms had returned on the road, the precious object of his care was again so far relieved as to encourage the delightful hope that the final result would be favourable and then shut himself up with his suffering angel at the hotel reiterating very audible orders on all sides that notice should be given them at whatever hour of the day or night a steamer bound for new york direct should reach the station during the extremely comfortable little tete-a-tete supper which followed for the negro attendants and their horses were to repose for that night at shakespeare town which rendered it necessary that the every way interesting invalid should confine herself to her chamber a discussion arose between the major and his wife as to the necessity of keeping patty in the dark respecting the real state of the case the major was of opinion that it would be better for her morality that she should continue to live in ignorance of his peculiar mode of playing cards as well as the extraordinary facility with which her mother could seem the thing she was not but mrs allen barnaby did not altogether agree with him as to her knowing no more than you choose to tell her donny about your rules of play i have no objection though after all you know her ignorance or innocence as you call it must depend altogether on her husband he's up to everything and if he should choose to live on the same pleasant confidential terms with his wife as you do with me donny i don't see how he can interfere to prevent it but patty's no fool and not a bit more likely to make a fuss about nothing than her mother was before her but with all this we have nothing to do and for you my dear you must just tell or not tell as much as you like but for my own part of the business i have made up my mind as i always have done throughout my whole life to act in strict conformity to my principles and nobody in my opinion can be in any degree worthy of esteem who does otherwise i have always endeavoured my dear major to impress on the mind of our daughter that it is a woman's duty to sacrifice everything for the interest of her husband and as far as i am concerned i shall merely tell patty that you had had enough of big gang bank and requested me to facilitate your departure in any manner i could devise and of course i shall add that in conformity to the unvarying line of conduct which i marked out for myself from the first hour of my becoming a wife i instantly feigned illness as being at once the most prompt and the most effectual mode of complying with your wishes well my dear that is all very right and proper replied the major and no man i am sure could find in his heart to say a word against it but suppose she should take it into her head wife to ask what it was that put it into my head to be in such a monstrous hurry to get off what should you tell her i do love the girl and i don't want her to think me worse than i am and upon my honour and life my dear what happened the other night the accident i mean upon which the luck turned was just exactly nothing so i think if you please that if she should take a fancy for questioning you the best thing to do will be just to refer her to me saying you know in your own charming manner which i am sure gives the finest example that ever girl had that it was enough for you to know that i wanted to be off and that you didn't care three farthings or something like that you understand whether you went or whether you stayed provided i was pleased and then if she wants to know more of course she will come to me and i don't much fear but what i shall find something or other to tell her that will set her mind at rest this point being satisfactorily adjusted the truly conjugal couple retired to rest and when the major sallied forth the next morning he had the satisfaction of finding his black cortege all ready to depart and only waiting to receive the very latest account respecting the health of the missus this was given in such a manner as while it sustained hope left no room for surprise at the too prompt recovery of the assassinated authoress and then the carriages and their guard of honour retreated leaving the major and his charming helpmate at liberty to rejoice at their ease at the perfect success of a stratagem which had enabled them to escape from an embarrassment that might have proved not a little perplexing now for it exclaimed mrs allen barnaby as she watched from her bedroom window the last of the three vehicles disappearing behind the trees now my dear let us look after patty and settle altogether what we had better do next we will settle my dear replied her polite husband as soon as you please but as to our doing it all together i see no need of that neither the don nor his lady as i take it will make any objection to follow let us move which way we will i am decidedly for philadelphia said the lady and i with grief i confess it am decidedly against it responded the gentleman but i will give you an excellent reason for it there is no high play at philadelphia and that is precisely the excellent reason for which you ought to go there rejoined mrs allen barnaby why was it if you please that we made such a forced march from our snug quarters at the beauchamps and why did i consent to lie for the best part of two days like a sick dog in a basket wasn't it wholly and solely for the purpose of your removing yourself my good mr major from the place where a certain mr Themistocles joseph john you see i have not forgotten the precious name to which i am to owe my darling dollars was likely to find you and where i should like to know would he be so little apt to look for you as in a city where there is no high play going on i hope i shall never be such a fool wife as to fix downright upon anything without first taking your judgment upon it said the major with energy you most decidedly are what our admirable friends have called first-rate philadelphia then let it be I'll go and mystify Patty a little. But I think I shall only say I was tired and got you for fun to play sick because I wanted to be off. There is no need to frighten her, you know, and make her fancy that every bush she sees is a constable running after me. But stop one minute, returned his wife. Just tell me before you go whether you mean to take what the ladies here call a spell of boarding or whether you shall prefer going into private lodgings. As you will, my dear replied the major who certainly became more and more convinced every day of his life that his wife was one of the cleverest women in the world i really had much rather that you should settle that point yourself then we will board major she replied with her usual decision of purpose as we are absolutely without letters or introductions of any kind it is necessary now as it was at first that we should get where setting ourselves off a little will turn to account the major kissed his hand to her and walked off saying as he went but bravissimo you are the best trump my dear that ever fell to my share and now i'll go and do what is needful with our patty and then give orders that notice shall be given us when the first steamer for philadelphia arrives nothing could be more prosperous than the little voyage which partly by river and partly by sea brought my heroine and her amiable family to philadelphia they had made themselves sufficiently agreeable on board the steamboat to have obtained a good deal of useful local information in return for the answers they had thought proper to give in the national cross-examination to which as a matter of course they had been subjected during the voyage the name and all other particulars relative to the most fashionable boarding-house in the city made part of this and they immediately made use of it by ordering their baggage to be conveyed at once to number blank chestnut street following themselves on foot on inquiring for the mrs simcoe whom they had been instructed to ask for as the head of the establishment they were ushered through an exquisite neat hall to a large handsome parlour at the back of the house at the moment they entered it was unoccupied save by the glossy furniture which shone with all the brightness that horsehair and mahogany can show when not a single particle of dust is permitted to tarnish its brilliance it's a clean place at any rate observed the major but the sofa is not half so soft and comfortable as those at new orleans or at the beauchamps either exclaimed patty very nearly getting a fall by sliding off the firmly stuffed and treacherously sloping imitation of a couch upon which she had thrown herself at full length with her usual vivacity i can't say i overmuch like the style of it said mrs allen barnaby the things all look as if they were set out more for show than use the don said nothing but he took the liberty of looking about him and his pale yellow nose assumed an attitude between his black moustaches which expressed sufficiently well a feeling of distaste and discomfort but ere another word could be uttered by any of them the door was opened and a lady appeared at it whose aspect must have had something in it calculated to inspire respect for patty actually put her legs off the sofa and sat upright the person who inspired this unusual sensation in the breast of the lively bride was a quaker lady of about forty years of age with a countenance as beautiful as very small features of exquisite regularity and a complexion as delicate in its pink and white as the blossom of the eglantine could make it her dress was perfect in its kind being composed of fawn-coloured silk and snowy lawn of the best quality and arranged with such exceeding neatness that one might have fancied a quaker fairy had been her tirewoman so guiltless of the contamination of human fingers did she look she bent her pretty little head four times successively while her light blue eyes which shone with a sort of gentle moonlight gleam from beneath the smooth bands of her flaxen hair were directed in turn to each of the party we have been recommended to this house for boarding said mrs allen barnaby in a tone a little less peremptory than was usual with her may i ask who it was that sent thee demanded the gentle quaker upon my word ma'am i don't know the name of the gentleman replied my heroine a little offended perhaps at the doubt or the caution which the question seemed to indicate but perhaps you know the name of colonel Beauchamp we have been staying with him and his lady for a long visit and if you know anything about them that must be quite recommendation enough i suppose no doubt of it friend if i chance to know them but i do not and thee canst understand that this makes all the difference replied mrs simcoe in a voice the bland tones of which seemed greatly less suited to express doubt than welcome well ma'am there are people enough to take dollars when they're offered without our wasting our time to find out whether you know our friends or not i think we had better go somewhere else major said mrs allen barnaby looking exceedingly indignant what must we do with the baggage mrs simcoe said a white help opening the door and presenting a face and figure as unlike those of her mistress as possible what rooms are the porters to carry it into this appeal caused mrs simcoe to look forth into the hall and it may be that the sight of the abundant packages assembled there suggested the idea that the lady's boast of being well furnished with dollars had something better to support it than any acquaintance however intimate with all the colonels in the union and having gently said to her handmaiden debide a bit she returned into the parlor and addressing like all other americans when doing business the principal gentleman of the party instead of the principal lady she said thee art welcome to remain here for a spell if such be thy wish friend my terms are eight dollars a week for each person provided they occupy the best rooms six if they take the second best and five if they content themselves with the third the bargain was soon made and the party established under the very respectable roof of mrs simcoe at the rate of six dollars a week for each of them having seen the various trunks and boxes disposed of in her own room and in that of her daughter mrs allen barnaby seated herself in a commodious arm-chair and began to meditate upon their new position and the mode in which her genius might be now best employed for the benefit of herself and family the major had walked out into the town to find which were the most frequented coffee-houses and to pick up whatever intelligence he might be able to meet floating about the don was gone with him and patty had proclaimed her intention of lying down on the bed till dinner-time so that the speculations of my heroine were not likely to be interrupted in any way she soon found however that she wanted a carte du pays and that there could be little profit in devising schemes while the circumstances and peculiarities of those to be acted upon remained unknown to her mrs allen barnaby was probably not the first person who when wishing for a precise knowledge of men and things has had recourse to servants for assistance having puzzled herself for a minute or two as to the best means of finding out what sort of people they were got amongst she suddenly started up and rang the bell it was not answered by the white help whom she had already seen but by an exceedingly well-dressed negress having the steady aspect of an old and respectable servant dear me exclaimed mrs allen barnaby i thought there were no blacks here as servants ma'am there are more blacks than whites replied the woman do step in for a moment and shut the door said the lady in an accent of familiar kindness tell me what is your name will you my name is ariadne ma'am said the negress demurely bless me what a fine name but i wish ariadne you would just tell me something about the company you have got in the house and about yourselves too i am quite glad to find blacks again here for then i suppose there will be no occasion to change i mean to say that the people think much the same here as elsewhere about it how many slaves has mrs simcoe got slaves ma'am said ariadne while a considerable portion of anger flashed from her eyes the philadelphia folks know better than that thank god we have got no slaves here dear me how very odd i thought all black people were slaves said the puzzled traveller you will know better than that ma'am when you have been a little longer in a free state replied the woman frowning i am as free as mrs simcoe herself ma'am and so are all the rest of us added the offended negress moving towards the door don't go away in a huff like that i'm sure i didn't mean to offend you my good woman said mrs allen barnaby coaxingly you must remember ariadne that i am just come from carolina and that i never heard there of any blacks that were not slaves so don't let's quarrel about that But just tell me a little about the ladies and gentlemen that are boarding here have they none of them got any slaves or plantations no ma'am said the woman sternly they'd scorn such wickedness one and all of them well to be sure that is queer after all i have heard and in the very same identical country too if that isn't enough to puzzle a traveller i wonder what is returned mrs allen barnaby adding in a mutter when at rome we must do as the romans do i suppose and so i must pitch my voice for singing another tune she then proceeded with a good deal of her usual cleverness to examine and cross-examine the woman till she had made out pretty tolerably to her satisfaction what style and order of people composed the party at the boarding-table at which they were about to take their places and having learned all she could on the subject she dismissed the negress first presenting her with a levee in token of her gratitude she then sought her daughter's apartment which was at no great distance from her own patty was lying on the bed fast asleep but as time pressed mrs allen barnaby could not yield to her maternal tenderness by permitting her to sleep on but felt absolutely compelled to arouse her to the necessary duty of dressing for dinner patty grumbled and scolded and indeed scrupled not to tell her attentive mamma that she was a great brute for waking her but no such trifle as this could move the steadfast spirit of her high-minded parent don't lay there abusing me there's it darling but wake up this very minute and dress yourself was her reply and mind patty she added that you dress yourself very carefully and very decently if you please don't put on that fine showy low dress that you wore the other day with the blue and pink bows because i happen to know perfectly well that it won't do here i shouldn't wonder i can tell you if we should be turned out of the house in no time stuff and nonsense replied the lately married lady i shall wear exactly what i like best i promise you ma'am so you had better not bother me with any more such vagaries i shall certainly desire tornorino to bid you hold your tongue if you do tornorino may chance to have the worst of it my darling returned her mother with the utmost good humour so good-bye dearest and wear your dark green gown and a high collar there's a love with these words mrs allen barnaby retreated leaving her daughter not only very angry but very much puzzled her don had already been throwing out hints respecting the probability that her respectable papa might get into a scrape or two if he did not mind what he was about and had also declared that he should not be at all surprised if it ended by their being obliged to shift for themselves and that he would not mind setting about it to-morrow if they could only screw a few hundred dollars out of the old folks to all of which madame tornorino had paid very little attention supposing it the result of some trifling dispute or other that no ways concerned either her own comfort or her own interest But now that she heard her mother talk of their being turned out of the house in no time, she fancied these different warnings alluded to one and the same thing. But what that might be, she was totally at a loss to conjecture. Upon the return of her husband, she told him of her mother's queer ways, and insisted in a manner somewhat peremptory that he should tell her the short and the long of it at once, for that she was determined she would know what they all meant. The Don shrugged his shoulders and did not seem disposed to reply with the readiness that was evidently expected from him he had in fact been very strictly charged by his father-in-law to say nothing to patty upon the accident which had occurred at big gang bank and he had tolerably well obeyed the injunction but the don hated difficulties of all kinds and he was beginning to doubt whether it was worth his while to run the risk of being taken up as a suspected character every time the major played with no better payment than being boarded and lodged it was now however very nearly the hour at which mrs simcoe had informed them she punctually dined and this was too sacred a ceremony in the opinion of don tornorino for it to be broken into by any discussion whatever he accordingly gave his fair bride to understand that whatever information it was his power to communicate must be postponed to a future opportunity and she had therefore bon gr mal gris, to descend to the dining-room very completely mystified as to what her respected parents were about the major who also felt that he had barely time enough to make his toilette postponed all questionings of his wife for the moment merely finding time to tell her that he had negotiated mr hapford's bill without any difficulty and the family accordingly sat down to table together with considerably less unity of purpose than was usual with them the large and neatly served dinner-table of mrs simcoe was surrounded exclusive of our travellers and her gentle self by six american gentlemen and their six wives they were all of them at least according to the opinion of mrs allen barnaby and her daughter dressed more or less in the quaker costume the ladies being all habited with more attention to delicacy and neatness than either to fashion or splendour and the gentlemen having little or no mixture of the chain and pin species of decoration which usually distinguishes their countrymen the dress of mrs allen barnaby herself was also a model of propriety the slight and floating drapery usually worn upon her ample shoulders was exchanged for a close-fitting white satin cape trimmed with swans down which though it caused her to endure sensations not very far removed from suffocation made her feel herself as she told the major afterwards quite of a piece with all the rest of them and much more likely to make her way among this strait-laced part of the population than if she had made herself fit to be seen in the ordinary manner this making herself fit to be seen by the way was a phrase which both in her daughter's vocabulary and her own appeared to signify the exposing as much of their persons to view as could be conveniently managed by any possible arrangement of the sleeves and corsage from which it may be inferred that they interpreted fit to be seen into ready to be seen a gloss accepted as it should seem by many of their fair countrywomen especially when preparing themselves for the dinner-table but whatever variations in fitness the fine judgment of my heroine might dictate and adopt according to circumstances no shadow of changing in this matter was perceptible in the toilette of her young daughter who came blazing into mrs simcoe's dining-room precisely in the dress which her thoughtful mamma had requested her not to wear and with such a remarkable deficiency of drapery about her shoulders that the gentle lady at the head of the table had a sore struggle with herself as to whether she should or should not send for a certain mouse-coloured shawl from the next room to supply what was so evidently wanted how this combat between meekness of spirit and severity of decorum might have ended if nothing had occurred to interrupt it i cannot say but the usually silent business of eating and drinking had not advanced far ere mrs allen barnaby bethought herself that however foreign to the manners of the country conversation at the dinner-table might be it was nevertheless her only chance at present for displaying those powers of mind upon which she rested her best hopes for continued success in the land to which fate and fortune had guided her steps having meditated for a moment or two as to how she should begin she said to a mild-looking quaker gentleman on her right may i ask you sir to be kind enough to tell me the name of the lady opposite to me sarah Tompkins was the concise reply which certainly offered as little opportunity for continuing the conversation as any reply could do but mrs allen barnaby would never have been my heroine if such a difficulty as this could have checked her it did not check her for a single moment for she instantly replied that is not the name i expected for i fancied i had seen the lady before and that she was called maurice it is a most extraordinary likeness certainly how odd it is sir isn't it that sort of unaccountable resemblance that one sometimes sees between people in no way related to one another for if the lady is not mrs maurice herself i don't think there is any chance of her being her sister or cousin or anything of the sort because mrs maurice's family are altogether english and have never any of them emigrated to this country and so much the worse for them isn't it sir there never was such a glorious country as this and that is what i have said to my husband major allen barnaby every day since we have been here not indeed that he is in the least degree inclined to differ with me on the subject he admires the country and the charming people too with exactly the same enthusiasm as i do that is the major sir a little lower down on the other side with full grey whiskers a dear excellent good man he is and so fond of what he calls the elegant peacefulness of this population that if it was not for the rank he holds in the english army and when he goes back he must be constantly with the duke of wellington again if it was not for this he says he would certainly cut off his moustaches in order to look more like one of them the quaker gentleman gently nodded his head for about the sixth time since she had begun talking which seemed to be intended as a sort of civil assurance that he heard her but he uttered no sound save that inevitably produced by the act of eating mrs allen barnaby here paused for a moment that she might herself eat a few mouthfuls for she was exceedingly hungry but having done this with as little loss of time as possible she began again perhaps you are not aware sir of the peculiar interest which philadelphia in particular has for english people and for myself indeed beyond all others my object in coming to this country was solely to obtain information on the state of the slave population throughout the united states as i am engaged by the first publisher in london to write a work upon the subject the quaker gentleman on hearing these words crossed his knife and fork upon his plate and turned himself round so as to command the side front of mrs allen barnaby's person on perceiving the advantage she had gained she performed precisely the same evolution herself thereby bringing herself very satisfactorily face to face with the drab coloured individual whom she wished to propitiate The art writing on the subject of slavery he said after looking at her steadily for a few seconds and speaking in a tone that seemed to express a doubt if he had rightly understood her yes my good sir she replied casting down her eyes with great modesty i have been urged to undertake the important task by a personal application of the very highest kind so high indeed that it would be inconsistent with etiquette did i particularize it further thee must be urged to the undertaking by higher authority than any the earth can show said the quaker gentleman with considerable solemnity and slightly raising his hand to indicate the region from whence it should come may i ask thee what are thy views upon the subject an inferior mind might have been daunted a little by these words and more still perhaps by the tone in which they were spoken but they produced no such effect on mrs allen barnaby on the contrary she felt her courage rise as she perceived that she was perfectly right in the ground she had taken and that she had nothing to do but adhere carefully to the plan she had so rapidly conceived in order to ensure for the future a degree of success fully as brilliant as that which she had already obtained she answered readily therefore but with her hand pressed upon her heart her eyes solemnly raised and her voice skilfully pitched to a tone of the deepest feeling my views sir are those of a reflecting christian that being the exact phrase which he had heard bitterly ridiculed by judge johnson when he was describing the cat of the abolitionists in that case thee art about to do what every good man's voice will be raised to bless thee for said the quaker gentleman if thee dost it friend to the best of thy power he added thee shalt find that let thy learning and thy skill in authorship be great or small thee shalt meet with the gratitude and good will of a very large body of the stranger people amidst whom thy holy purpose hath brought thee this concluding assurance was of course exceedingly welcome to the lady but nevertheless there was something in the quaker gentleman's allusion to the possibility of her not being an accomplished author which she did not quite approve and after a moment's reflection she said i would never dear sir have ventured to trust my pen on such a theme had not its earlier efforts been already approved in the most flattering manner by the best judges among my countrymen under my maiden name i have published many successful works but as my present object is not fame but utility i have determined by the advice of one of the most exalted characters in england both as to worth and station not to let the name under which i have published be known as long as i remain in this country my reason for this self-denying reserve is to be found in my earnest wish to see things exactly as they are without running the risk of having my judgment warped by the species of flattering adulation which literary fame is sure to produce in this enlightened country that the precaution was not unnecessary we have already found for being determined to see everything by my own eyes and judge everything by my own understanding i prevailed upon my beloved and most indulgent husband to let me land on our first arrival from england at new orleans that great stronghold of the abominable system that my soul abhors my honest wish was not to exaggerate in speaking of its effects and the only way of being sure to avoid this was by contemplating those effects with my own eyes but it unfortunately happened that there was a gentleman at new orleans who had seen me in europe and who recognised me as as the author of the works to which i have alluded the consequence of which was that all the most important families in that part of the union came forward in a body to welcome me hoping as i suspect that i might lend a pen which has been acknowledged to have some power to advocating the atrocious system that reigns among them you may easily believe my dear sir that their advances were not very cordially received but of course i could not avoid hearing an immense quantity of argument in favour of the system and thee didst not find the arguments worth much he replied with a gentle smile worth mercy on me dear sir they made me perfectly sick and ill i never suffered so much from hearing people talk in my whole life before all this did not pass amidst the silence of an almost holy quaker dinner-table without attracting the attention of every one seated at it mrs simcoe forgot patty's distressing want of a shawl while she listened to the discourse of her more prudent mother and more completely still while observing the attention paid to it by her richest and in every way most important guest john williams the well-known quaker philanthropist this gentleman who had amassed a very handsome fortune as a philadelphian banker had for some years past fixed his residence at a handsome mansion at the distance of ten miles from the city making the boarding-house of mrs simcoe his well-esteemed cousin and friend his headquarters whenever he found occasion to revisit it this good man was not only in every way entitled to respect but possessed it so universally as to render the fact of his entering into conversation with mrs allen barnaby a reason amply sufficient to make every individual at the table both male and female desirous of conversing with her too the knives and forks were either laid aside entirely or else used so cautiously as to prevent any sound from that quarter interfering with the general wish of hearing what it was that the stout high-coloured english travelling lady could have to say that should make john williams listen to her with so much attention but not even this universal feeling of interest in what was going on could long postpone that strong american propensity to start up from the dinner-table as soon as hunger is appeased which renders that great luxury of european life table-talk almost unknown to them but this interruption ill-timed as it seemed to mrs allen barnaby at the moment was not sufficient to check the purpose of the good quaker to become without any delay better acquainted with her perhaps john williams had never in his life looked in the face of a lady which he felt less inclination to look at again than that of mrs allen barnaby but what did that signify john williams felt that it was his duty to make himself acquainted with her and it must therefore have been a very serious obstacle indeed which could have prevented his doing so with his usual quiet passive sort of decisiveness the worthy quaker immediately made up his mind as to the manner in which this was to be brought about and as soon as mrs simcoe rose a movement immediately followed by the rising of the whole party he walked round the table to the place occupied by his wife rachel with whom all his journeyings whether long or short were ever taken and said to her wife thee must come with me to ask yonder foreign lady to go to thy parlour with thee the tall stately prim-looking mrs williams instantly prepared to obey but not without fixing a glance of the most unequivocal astonishment at the individual to whose side she was summoned had she been the very dirtiest of negresses or the most wretched-looking of whites no such feeling had been produced by it but it would have been difficult for her to have imagined a face and figure that she would have thought less likely to attract her spouse than those of the person she was now approaching as rapidly as the unchangeable sedateness of her pace would permit rachel williams said the good man as soon as he had succeeded in bringing the strangely matched pair face to face rachel williams i would have thee give the hand of sisterly fellowship to this stranger thee has not told me thy name he added addressing mrs allen barnaby how beest thou called my name replied our heroine with a smile and an attitude and an accent all intended to testify the extreme delight at this introduction my name is barnaby allen barnaby mrs major allen barnaby and most happy do i feel in being thus permitted to present myself to those who must be so able to afford me effectual assistance in the important object i have before me thee must come with us to our own quiet parlour said the good man offering his hand to lead her and when thee art there thee canst explain fully both to my wife and to me not only thy object but the means by which thee dost hope to accomplish it and then we shall be able to discover in what way we may best be able to help thee mrs allen barnaby's thanks were profuse and ardent and she yielded her plump hand to the thin fingers of the quaker with a flourish that she felt at her heart to be very like the manner in which she had once seen mrs siddons lay her palm on that of king duncan but just as they had reached the door with the fawn-coloured rachel following close behind it suddenly occurred to our heroine that it would be advisable that she should exchange a word or two with the rest of her party before she separated herself from them i beg your pardon my dearest sir a thousand times but you must if you please permit me to say one single word to my dear excellent husband before i retire with you to your own apartments dost thee wish thy husband to come with us also demanded the amiable quaker Oh, no, was the reply. You are very kind, excessively kind indeed. But my good Major knows the business to which I am devoting myself, and as he has considerable confidence in me, dear man, he never interferes for fear, as he kindly says, that he should puzzle the cause by interrupting me. But I just wish to say one word to him and to my daughter, the lady of Don Tornorino, to prevent her being surprised at my not returning with them to our own rooms. Surely, surely replied john williams standing back with his wife to let the rest of the company pass out we will wait for thee till thou art ready for us thus sanctioned mrs allen barnaby stepped back and laying one hand on the arm of her husband and the other on that of her daughter she pushed them gently before her into the recess of a bow window and then said in a whisper winking a good deal first with one eye and then with the other in order to make them understand that she had more to say than it was convenient to speak at that moment i am going with these topping quakers into their sitting-room i shall get on with them never you fear good-bye and then glided back to her new friends and in the next moment passed through the door with them and was out of sight and her father stood staring at each other for a moment and then both laughed while the mystified don who understood only that his august mother-in-law was gone somewhere with a pair of the most incomprehensible people he had ever beheld and that they were forbidden to follow raised one of his black eyebrows to the very top of his yellow forehead and the other within half an inch of it while he waited till his wife had sufficiently recovered her gravity to reply to his somewhat petulant what for when at length the answer came however it was only in a repetition of his words But for darling i am sure i could not tell you if my life depended upon it unless it means that ma's gone mad no no patty said the major recovering his gravity do not alarm yourself ma is not gone mad i promise you but knows what she is about as well as any lady that ever lived but upon my life patty if we are all to sail in the wake of these prim quakers you must alter your rigging a little my dear or you'll be left out of the convoy and what's to happen then i sail in the wake of your detestable quakers exclaimed patty almost with a scream if there's any one thing on god's earth that i hate and abominate more than all the rest put together it is a quaker and if you think any of you that i mean to skewer myself up in a grey wrapper and go theeing and thowing to please them and that for the sake of getting a morsel of daily bread to eat you are mistaken this being uttered with a good deal of vehemence and an angry augmentation of colour while something that looked like tears glittered in her eyes her father instantly lost all disposition to mirth and replied in a tone of the most coaxing fondness what in the world have you got into your head my darling patty you can't suppose for a moment that i would let any body plague you to do what you did not like did i ever do it since you were born patty you know very well dearest that i never did and that i always think it worth while to battle for you whatever i may do for myself so for goodness sake don't begin to cry you know i can't bear it yes returned his handsome daughter with a sob i know all that very well papa i know that you have always been a great deal more good-natured to me than ever mamma was but that makes little or no difference now and i don't think it is at all right for married people to go on living as tornorino and i do just as if we were two tame cats kept to play with with a basket to sleep in milk to lap, and a morsel of meat to mumble i don't like it at all and i don't think that don likes it at all better than i do The major probably knew by experience that when his Patty was thoroughly out of humour, it did not answer to argue with her, and therefore, without saying a single syllable by way of reply to the speech she had just uttered, he tucked her arm with a sort of jocund air under his own, and giving the Don a good humoured wink as he passed him, led her out of the room, saying, Come, Patty, my dear, we have got a sort of holiday this evening, haven't we? Let us use it by going to the theatre. I saw abundance of fine things advertised, and I know you love a play to your heart nothing could have been more judicious than this proposal patty appeared to forget all her sorrows in a moment and springing forward with a bound that seemed to send her half-way up the stairs before its impulse was exhausted exclaimed that's the best thing you ever said in your life pap come along don i'd rather go to a play any time than be made a queen a few minutes quiet walking through the clean and orderly streets of philadelphia brought them to the handsome chestnut street theatre and a few minutes more found patty seated to her heart's content in the front row of a box very near the stage and her still dearly beloved don close beside her the major however who had taken his station behind could not control the spirit of busy activity which was ever at work within him beyond the first act he might pay himself for their tickets he thought at any rate if he could but find a billiard-table and saying as he laid a hand upon the shoulder of both son and daughter you two can take care of one another he slid out of sight and escaped though the yellow-faced don was neither so young nor so fresh as his wife he enjoyed the amusement which he was thus peaceably left in possession of quite as much as she did the piece was beaumarchais and mozart's barbiere di sevilla adapted to the american stage and despite the doubtful improvement of sundry alterations the spaniard was in ecstasies He was himself by no means a bad performer on the flute, and such a longing seized him as he watched the performer on that instrument, who sat almost immediately under him, once more to listen to his own notes upon it, that for some minutes after the opera ended he was lost in reverie. "'What is the matter with you, Tornorino?' said his delighted wife, clapping her hands as she recollected that there was still another piece to be performed. "'You don't enjoy it half as much as I do.' The don looked silently in her handsome face for about a minute, and then said, what should you say, Patty, if the rest was whispered, but whatever he said pleased her so well that the thoughts of it seemed to divide her attention with the gay afterpiece, for she eagerly renewed the conversation at intervals during the whole time it lasted, nor did the discussion thus begun end here it appeared to have equal charms for both it lasted them through their lingering walk back to Mrs. Simcoe's, kept them long awake after they retired to rest, and was renewed the very moment they were awake in the morning. The subject of these interesting conversations shall be explained hereafter. End of chapter 30